Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Happy Holidays. Welcome to the Christmas Spectacular Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. I'm Sam Roberts. And this is my wrestling podcast. Well, wow, what a show. What a show indeed. So much to get to. I have a very special uh, Mick Foley Christmas piece that I'm going to get to in a little bit. A little bit of talk about uh, where wrestling is going in the state of wrestling. But first, let's get to the interview. First and foremost, let's get to the interview because that's what everybody's here uh, to hear. Here to hear. Carl Anderson, the machine gun Carl Anderson is a guy who's been making a name for himself in New Japan Pro Wrestling for really the last several years. Before he was Tenzai, he was Giant Bird. Well, before he was Tenzai, he was uh, Albert. But after he was Albert and before he was Tenzai, Matt Bloom was Giant Bernard in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and his tag team partner was a machine gun, Carl Anderson. Tenzai debuts in WWE and, and stays in America. He's now a trainer in NXT And Carl Anderson stays in New Japan Pro Wrestling. But he stays to become one of the founding members, one of the creators of what has become, I think, the coolest faction in all of pro wrestling. And it's been a while since there was anything that was long-term and that you could really say was cool in pro wrestling. That had that feel of, no, 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 I don't care who you are, that's, that's cool. You know what I mean? It's a rare thing in pro wrestling, and Carl Anderson and his teammates pulled it off with the Bullet Club. Of course, people didn't know what was going to happen to the Bullet Club. Finn Balor from NXT, once uh, Prince Devitt in New Japan, was the leader of the Bullet Club. He was the founder along with Carl Anderson, um, and he left. However, AJ Styles, I guess, uh, took over where Prince Devitt took off. And Bullet Club has been more successful and more popular than they've ever been. I mean, anyone who's been to any wrestling shows in the last year or so have seen Bullet Club t-shirts. This thing has completely infected the United States wrestling fan base. And it's amazing because New Japan hasn't been on American TV. They haven't even been on American pay-per-view yet. That all changes in a couple of weeks when Wrestle Kingdom 9 is going to be on pay-per-view with Jim Ross doing the play-by-play. But Bullet Club has become this amazingly cool thing, this movement in pro wrestling without ever stepping foot on American soil. Uh, uh, You've seen them represented in Ring of Honor when the Young Bucks perform there, and Carl Anderson has performed in Ring of Honor as well representing Bullet Club. You see uh, just uh, uh, last weekend... At Pro Wrestling Syndicate, they had AJ Styles, Jeff Jarrett, and of course Gallows and Carl Anderson uh, representing Bullet Club. So you see this now pop up on the indie scene, but it's not like the American fans are sitting there going, who are these guys? They have long lines for their merch boots. You see people in the front rows wearing Bullet Club t-shirts. It's really, really, really amazing. So I had the opportunity to sit down. Carl Anderson and I have been going back and forth on Twitter for a while trying to make this happen. Finally, the machine gun enters the studio with prime time. And the Sam Roberts-Carl Anderson interview happens right now. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Welcome, at long last, machine gun Carl Anderson. What's the haps, man? Brother. A lot. A yeah. lot of haps, yeah. yeah. It's, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here, man. I mean, first of all, how... This is one of the things I've been wanting to ask you for a long time because I don't understand exactly how it happened. Because yeah. I feel like you and you, your people, your guys, have created this thing. It's Bullet Club. Yeah. It's become the most... It's the coolest thing in wrestling. And it's in Japan. Like, it's not even on... It's not on American TV... It's not an American pay-per-view at the time that we're talking yet. Yeah. And it's become this thing that is the coolest thing on TV. How did this, or, or in wrestling, how did that happen? It's weird, isn't it? It's yeah. nuts. I yeah. actually, it's funny. I was in the, I was working out in Cincinnati um, a couple days ago in, in, in Fairfield, Ohio. 
And a high schooler came up to me and said, Carl Anderson, you got it too sweet me, bro. And I said, <laughs> I, I acted like I was cool, but inside I was going, this is something that I built, baby. This is on me. Right. It's a... Uh, I'm happy that they, and that they know that they know it's not like they just seen the logo and because th- there's a lot of people that are just like, that's a cool shirt. Yeah. But the fact that he knows to say too sweet me too, too sweet, that, that, it, it he, means he's following our stuff. Exactly. Which uh, and, and, and I, you know, I, I think a lot of those guys like the high schoolers and stuff now, I don't think they realize that the too sweet me stuff was obviously NWO stuff like that's just something that. Like they just see it as yours. Yeah, that, I, and, I, and it's not ours. Oh, well, it's ours now. Right, we, we, took we it. borrowed it from the brothers. Like, uh-huh. but I, I, I'm, I'm proud of that, man. Well, how did that? For, okay, so so how did it come about? Like, what do you think was not so much like how did the thing start, but how did yeah. it become this thing that's cool enough that it's transcended cultural barriers? Everything. Yeah. No, I, I you know what. Fergal Devitt, Prince Devitt, now Finn Balor yeah. and NXT, like, you know, me and him came through the dojo in New Japan. We started in New Japan as absolute young boys mm-hmm. on, you know, small money, and we had to train every day, stay there for three, four months at a time. And I think the fans got to where they, the New Japan fans respected us, the Japanese fans. Mm-hmm. So then when we actually turned heel on those fans and we started being able to be ourselves, it was a shock to the people seeing us be assholes. Yeah. And so when we started doing whatever we wanted, and and when we started doing that, it just started to kind of snowball, and people started to see us doing crazy stuff, and me cussing on TV, and pounding beers on during promos and stuff that people don't usually do. And I guess that's like maybe because it's such so much of it is a throwback to when kind of teenagers and people in their twenties loved wrestling during the Attitude Era. That not only is it the language, but then you start like adopting so many old NWO traditions. Yeah. That it's like, oh, yeah, I remember when this was cool. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been friends with Ferg now for we, – we met each other in 2006 at the Los Angeles Dojo in, uh, in Los Angeles, California, which where New Japan had some uh, – like a feeder system. And uh, me and him were doing the – we were doing the mm-hmm. two-sweep back then just because yeah. we're just well, – we're fans. So, so is that all that – like was there any thought going in as to why you're going to start adopting these sort of NWO and, and click – yeah, hand yeah. gestures and saying too I, sweet, and there's. A- I think more about just. I think we just wanted to show everybody. First off, we just we were just doing what we ever we wanted to do, mm-hmm. and to see if we'd ever would get in trouble for it by the office, which we didn't. And so we just kept doing it, right? Because it was fun. Yeah, and it was funny. And we grew up watching like you know the, we love the NWO, right? And like Scott, I put over Scott Hall on Twitter all the time, and he even has kind of blessed us to do it. So yeah, I love it. And yeah. were you thinking too that like look, people are. People who know, some people don't know, like you said, like yeah. teenagers now don't even know what you're referencing. Yeah. But people who do know, they're going to compare you guys to NWO regardless. Yeah. So I guess you're getting out in front of it and owning it. That's uh, uh, like we get, Like we know what we're the predecessors of. Yeah, of course. I mean, they, they, they paved the way for us to be able to do what we're doing. But it's become this thing that that hand gesture now is just like all any, like even non Bullet Club people are just. "Quote unquote cool indie guys." That's what I'm saying. I, yeah. I, I really. Now, I'm gonna take this. I'm gonna go ahead and say this. I really believe that the Bullet Club brought back the two sweets. I think so. I'm gonna say it. And I, then, and then you go on I, Twitter and you see Kevin Steen and Fergal and Triple H are just, up, just throwing it up. Yeah. And like, I which think I love that picture, man. That's unbelievable. And it has to be like because I'm looking at it and the first thing I'm like they're doing the two sweet thing, and it took me days to go. Wait a minute. Triple H was doing that before oh, it, anybody. They own that thing. Yeah. We're just borrowing it. But now it's like it's become this thing. So when you saw that, are you going, oh, my God? You know, it was pretty cool when the recent one after the NXT tapings, I saw the picture of, of Ferg, mm-hmm. Triple H, and Kenta. And they mm-hmm. were all doing it. And, right. and seeing Kenta do it because Kenta came from Noah, so he was kind of like a rivalry of ours anyway. Right. And so seeing him throw that too sweet up too made it just awesome. Yeah. I, I screenshotted it and sent it to Ferg and said, it's pretty badass, bro. So when you've got you've got this thing that you've created, Bullet Club, yeah. and the leader is Fergal Devitt, who's now Finn Balor. Yeah. When he leaves, kind of just as Bullet Club is getting super, super, super hot and the internet is starting to fall in love with this thing, is there any sort of panic? Like, you can't go. We're just on the precipice yeah. of this thing. No, you know, I, I wasn't worried about that. People asked me that before, and I, uh, I, I wasn't worried about that at all. And I knew AJ was coming in, mm-hmm. and... Uh, Right before Ferg had left, they just made us those sweet shirts with the, the black and white and the bones, which the nose thing started selling like crazy. And right. I, I think that's actually might have got us more over in Japan than anything because they just kept selling out. Just the cool T-shirts. Yeah, it was a cool-ass T-shirt and black yeah. and white, and it was simple, and it was cool. Yeah. And But, you know, I, I, didn't, 
I wasn't panicked when Ferg was leaving, man. I, I, I think he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. He's one of my best friends. He's right. awesome, but I was just... I, I knew we'd be fine. You figured at that point you'd built up the Bullet Club to be something bigger than just one dude. Yeah, yeah I could just I could just tell. I could just feel it, man. It's just, I and wasn't it was, worried about it. I mean, and if you're not worried about it, then it's actually kind of good news for you because you're like, I can step into a little more of this spotlight that he's leaving behind. Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, it, it was funny because Ferg was, you know, in, in Japan they still have those, the weight classes, right? Like the juniors and the heavyweights, right. they, they still keep those guys separated. And Ferg was getting this huge push as a junior. And so... When we created the Bullet Club, he started he started beating heavyweights, mm-hmm. which started rubbing some guys the wrong way, actually backstage, and so I think that even added more to the Bullet Club coolness because he was getting this badass push that was like transcending what people have done in the past in New Japan. Yeah, and I guess you have to get some actual heat to really feel like those villainous, yeah, superhero factions. For sure, we have heat. Yeah, I don't think we do now. Because, I mean, I've been there long enough. The boys know that I'm not an actual dick. Uh-huh. And, I mean, and, and the boys know that I respect all of them. But for sure, when we started getting that push, of course, the, the Japanese guys had to hate us. Yeah, and I was also thinking that there's so many guys. Because Bullet Club is like the premise, I guess, originally was that you were this group of foreigners and you were heels that had no respect for Japanese anything. tradition yeah. or anything. right? Yeah. So, obviously, the Japanese fans are going to hate that. But there are, like, you watch New Japan now. And there's so many foreigners and so many Americans and, and European guys that are over there now. Yeah. Um, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. Like I, I was telling you before, like, you know, when I first started there in 2008, it was me, Fergal Devitt, and A-Train, Johnny mm-hmm. Bernard. And that was it. And all of a sudden, business started getting better and business started getting better. Now there's 15 guys young every tour. Right. Sometimes when we stop a tour, like the, it goes by tours. Like you tour for two weeks or three weeks and you go home for two weeks, for example. Like we, if we stop in Osaka, Japan, we have to take a, a bullet train back to Tokyo mm-hmm. to catch the plane. And uh, I remember in 2008, they had one referee taking three foreigners through. But now, the one referee is leading 15, 15 <laughs> foreigners through this fucking yeah. train station where those Japanese guys were bumping in there. We're losing guys. Because you got to have your tickets. You're losing your tickets. Uh-huh. It's stressful. Yeah. <laughs> Even for me, I can't imagine the guy that doesn't speak English leading well, us through the fucking thing. Well, so when you first started, was it like, it must have been much more difficult for you to kind of adapt to what was going on in the lifestyle because all you would have had was you and Fergal there, who was also new to New Japan. Yeah. And not this sort of uh, lineage of guys. Like now, if somebody comes from America for the first time, there's 15 guys, like you said, that have gone through this before. And they can kind of say, hey, you know, Carl, what's yeah. what's the deal with this? You know, it was pretty cool because Ferg had been there so he went there in March of 2006, and I, I went in March of 2008. So he'd been there for two years. Okay. And Matt had uh, a train had been there for, um, I think he signed maybe in 2007 or something like that. And he was pretty full time, almost the whole time too. So those guys both helped me out a lot. Okay. Yeah. They had and Ferg would stay for four months, five months at a time, in the dojo. So then that's where I went, and I stayed in the dojo too, which is it was an old, crappy, nasty house. You lived there. Lived there. Wow. Because when I signed with New Japan Pro Wrestling, I flew over there with about $25 in my account. Jeez. And, and just saying, I think this will work. No. Uh, no, you're <laughs> just like, I got nothing else to do. I don't know. Do. Yeah, just here we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember I, did, I had a, uh, I, I got the contract in the mail, and I was just like, you got to be kidding me. This is awesome, you know? And uh-huh. So just like, how long am I staying? I don't care. And it was like three, three months. Here so we go. So when you're saying it was awesome, was it because it was real money, or was it just because as a wrestler, New Japan was one of your goals? You know, when I first started wrestling, I got to say, man, like New Japan wasn't my goal. I, my goal, I always wanted to go to WWE or, or at that point, when I was a kid, it was WCW or NWA, but it was always WWE. Right. And then once I started wrestling, I, started, I found out about New Japan for wrestling, and I was like, now I just want to make a living. Right. Anything, you know, then I started following New Japan. The New Japan found out about me. Then they sent me a, a contract for three months. You know, is that what happens when you start wrestling? Like you start looking around and realizing there's a lot of us out here. The goal is just to be able to do this and not go broke. That, you know, that, that's of course. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know, I, I just the how thought, long just, you know, how long into it do you realize that? You know what? WWE, it's good if it happens. But the immediate goal is to just be able to get food on the table. Well, you know, it took me. Let's see, it took me about four years before I realized that I I want to do something without, like, without, if, if I can't make it to WWE or go to the WWE, I, I want to find something. You know, I got you. So you're like, you know what, there's a possibility that WWE doesn't happen. I got to yeah. figure out what else in this world yeah. is out there. Yeah. Huh. You know, and so I started wrestling in 2002, 
and I went out to Los Angeles for that Los Angeles dojo in 2006. So it was four years of independent, just no money, just kind of here and there. I didn't really catch a break at all. Uh-huh. Then I thought this was a big break, but it, it kind of wasn't. It was just kind of moving far away from where I was just to kind of – Just something different. Just get some, yeah, something. Yeah. To, but I was able to meet the right guys. I met the New Japan Pro Wrestling president. I met some of the big stars that ended up putting me over and helping me get there. You know, So, so you don't – do you still have that thing in the back of your head like, you know what – the better I do in New Japan, the more likely WWE is going to look at me. You know, they got Albert back. They brought in uh, Finn. They're 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 looking. Or is that not in your head anymore? You know, I think it's always in your head. You know, if anybody says they don't want to go WWE, they're probably lying. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, r- right now I'm happy. You know, if, you are. If I can if I can stay with New Japan Pro Wrestling for ten more years and and I never do the WWE thing or or the American thing or TNA thing, I, I'm happy. You know. And I guess you got something working in New yeah. Japan, so it's like this. I think it's kind of cool that you yeah. know I have a house and I have a car and I've been able to support my family without ever going to WWE, which not a lot of people can say. Maybe it no, I don't like, think so. Know, yeah, almost or, nobody or, or TNA, you right? Know? Right. So I don't, I don't have any American experience except for Ring of Honor and you know PWG. And stuff, right. You know? And and a lot of that is being a representative of New Japan and yeah. the Ring of Honor stuff. Yeah. Um, so what about when uh, when Albert left? Yeah. Was that was there any sort of because that was before way before any of this Bullet Club stuff was starting? Yeah. Was there any sort of because you guys were tag champs? Yeah. You guys were kind of on to something, and then that was another thing where okay, your partner's going off to WWE. Was was that a moment where you were like, I got to figure out what I'm doing here? You know, I, I I knew I had a contract for the. He left in March of something like that of 2012, mm-hmm. yeah, and I knew my contract was until 2013. So I wasn't going anywhere. So you're like, I got a year to. Yeah, I got a year to just just you know show them what I got, and, mm-hmm. and I end up getting a couple of really good pushes as a singles as a singles player. You know, do you so. have to in in wrestling? Do you kind of have to give up the idea of trying to control everything and controlling your fate and figuring out where it's going? Yeah, I, I think you just got to go out there because you know you're not always in charge of booking or writing right. or, or winning or losing any of that shit. You know, I think you just got to go out there and, and just perform. And that's it. That's it. That's Did you for me? Were you like that from the get go or? Yeah. Or did you yeah. have to learn that? I never cared about like the winning and the losing and the and getting big pushes here and there. Mm-hmm. I always, I always, I remember when I was when I first started in Cincinnati, like when I was able to be a heel, and I would, and in that part of the country, you can just tell the rednecks to shut up, and they just go <laughs> nuts, and they start, they want to fight you for real, like <laughs> take George, their shirts off, yeah, they start going for real, <laughs> yeah, like Georgetown, Kentucky, or Covington, Kentucky, or Cincinnati, Ohio. I mean, it's just it's rednecks, and they get serious about it, and like. I, just, I remember thinking I, I, I didn't care about losing it all. I said, I, I, there's 100 people, and they're, and they're booing at me. They're mad at me. Just, that's all that matters. Yeah, that's all as that long matters. as you can get the audience to react. Absolutely. We're good. Absolutely. We've done our job today. So what we do, what, what we do is not a, you know, winning and losing. Is just, I mean, it's not even up to you. Somebody, somebody else writes that. <laughs> yeah, you, know? like you don't have any <laughs> control over that either. I, just, I have no control over it. So. Right. Now, um, when you, how big is Bullet Club in Japan? Huge. It is. Huge. So like today, you're walking around in Bullet Club gear. Yeah, if you do that in Japan, are you mobbed? Depends on where I'm at. If I'm yeah. in the middle, if I'm in the middle of Tokyo, I I wouldn't I wouldn't walk around in this. I look, I'd, it'd be like John Cena walking around <laughs> in his wrestling gear. No, hold on, I'm not comparing myself to John Cena. Hold but. on, <laughs> that was a bad comparison. Yeah, it's just like, like John Cena walking, walking around, around in pumps and jorts. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> you know, it'd be, it'd be like that. But uh, or if I go to Osaka, if if I go to a small town, I can I can get away with it. But right. But yeah, but you probably wouldn't walk around just day to day in your own gear anyway. Yeah, I look like an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Like we get it; he's a fan of what he does. (laughs) As I left my house today, I I saw my bullet club hat hanging there in my bullet club jacket on the on the hanger, and I said, "Yeah, I got to I got to kick it." Yeah, no, I think I'm I'm wearing a Not Sam T-shirt, so I I understand. Yeah, because. Who's gonna buy your stuff if you won't wear it? Yeah. If you're not like, if they don't, if the only reason anybody's gonna think it's cool is because the guy they like is wearing it, right? I like the colors too. So right. Fuck it. Would you have to know too? <laughs> yeah. When you create a logo like you guys created, you're yeah. like, oh my god, who created the logo? The New Japan. Like, really? We had our we had some our first shirts came out, and I, I remember telling Fergus, these shirts suck, man. And it was like yeah. a, just a bullet across here, and I was like, ah. Whatever you know. Then these new shirts came out about you know six months later, or what? I don't know how long later it was. And I was like, these are badass, bro. So they were just like, here, this is the idea. These are the just, new shirts. Just here's the new shirts because we didn't have any kind of say in all that kind of stuff. And like the royalties were, it's just they don't really care about foreigners a whole lot <laughs> over there. Just to be honest, <laughs> yeah. Especially especially with your ideas and stuff. But uh-huh. but recently they've started to listen to more more of our ideas because it's working. It's, yeah, it's working. But so you're not making royalties in the beginning off Bullet Club shirts, man. Uh, 
That's crazy. That's like the. I got to talk to you. Yeah, well, there's well now there's nine eleven guys in the in the in the thing. In yeah. The thing. I mean, it's just, I mean, how do you split it up? I mean, does, I guess. do I get more because I've been there longer? Do the young bucks get more because they're more Ring of Honor famous or right. indie famous? I don't know. <laughs> so what about the shirts that get sold in America from like pro wrestling tees? Oh, of course, New Japan gets that. Oh my god. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say though. Oh, do, I, do, do I yell at them to give us some royalties? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, in all the promos, you're the leader, oh, right? Yeah. So those are your royalties. I, 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 uh, I'm still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> I brought it up to one of the uh, one of the uh, one of our agents. His name is Hattori. Uh, uh-huh. Recently, I said I need some shirt royalties, man. Anything happening soon? He goes, <laughs> Yeah, man. Uh, Devin asked me same thing. You know, Devin's in WWE. Why are you t- talking about Devin? He yeah. just laughed it off, and it was it. He's got his, yeah, Devin's got his own shirts. I'm sure he's making royalties so now just, from them. So they're just, they're just rolling in the Bullet Club money, and they're not, and they're having fun with it. Yeah, good. They, now they love foreigners. Now <laughs> <laughs> keep disrespecting tradition. There was some. Uh, we we all sold some shirts outside the Tokyo Dome Hotel, like like our own shirts and signed mm-hmm. and fans. Some fans posted it up. And so the Bullet Club caught a little bit of heat for that, for selling our own shirts outside the hotel. But I was like, they're not going to say anything to us because they're not giving us any royalties. So right. You're like, we wouldn't, I wouldn't be selling T-shirts outside the hotel if yeah, I was so making from the arena. So we're good to go. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Is it uh, – you're talking about the Young Bucks because, yeah, the Young Bucks are uh, yeah. – are, and that's uh, probably a lot of uh, Americanizing the Bullet Club is that the Young Bucks show up at Ring of Honor shows always repping Bullet Club. But yeah. I wonder uh, – how do you sort of control? Because you know, anytime you've built something like Bullet Club, you have to control the way it's promoted, or at least New Japan has to control the way it's it's promoted and portrayed yeah. and everything. Like when Bullet Club is represented in whether it's Ring of Honor or, or Pro Wrestling Syndicate or, or other indie shows, how does anybody maintain control of the image of the brand of of what's coming you know, across? Th- th- I trust the Bucks to go do whatever they can do. You know, because like it's weird because. New Japan Pro Wrestling only has a couple of foreigners actual under actually under solid contracts. Right. You know what I mean? So the Young Bucks are still independent where they can you know, they could tell New Japan to fuck off and And just do whatever. And do whatever they want to do, and it's fine. So right. I mean so it, So it's kinda of up to them. It's up to them, you know. It's it's that's that's still kind of the weird thing where New Japan Pro Wrestling started to get so big now, they need to kinda of, Start bringing. I think they need to sign the young bucks to a full yeah. guarantee, which I brought it up before, and sometimes it kind of falls on deaf ears. But I don't think they. I think they're just starting. It's starting to get so big now. I think that they're starting to realize they got to do that. Yeah, that is a weird thing because the young bucks are a huge. It's not like the young bucks don't feel like they're sort of honorary bullet club members. They feel like they're real. Yeah, they're, they're part of this group, and right and, and when you see them, they're oh yeah, that's young bucks, supposedly from New Japan. Yeah, but. Do you run into problems where, like, an indie promoter will want to just take his local guy and, and job out the Bullet Club guys to him so they can look cool? You know, probably, but I, if they do that, I mean, the Bullet Club, all the Bullet Club boys will just say no. <laughs> right, so, they just won't do it. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> like, tr- try to make me look like, bad, then. <laughs> like, it's, it's not, it's just, just no, nah, sorry. You yeah. Know, it's not going to happen. <laughs> do you have full, do you, uh, do you guys have, say, like, uh, over over Bullet Club and who's going to join and who is this or is New Japan's grasp on that pretty tight? It's funny. A, a couple of guys joined recently or, or, or when Jeff came in. Right. There was, a, there was a lot of praise for it. And I like it. I think Jeff's a legend. So mm-hmm. bring it Jeff on. Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but there was also a lot of hate saying, like, you know, Jeff's he's older. He's done this and that. He left TNA. And it's just like, I don't know. It's, I think just people are just talking out of turn. It's like, just, you know, just shut up and enjoy the ride, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is weird that, like, to judge that move as soon as it happens. Like, we don't even know what's going to result from it, what Jeff Jarrett's going to do as a member. Like, wh- where does the story go? You can't yeah. you can't hate just, the story at the beginning of it. Just wait it out, you know? It's like walking out of a movie five <laughs> minutes in. Like, Maybe, it's yeah. going to get really good in a second. People getting hot about it. But with that said, do we have any kind of say who comes in? No. You don't? None. none. That's what somebody – uh, I was chatting with somebody on uh, – on the, somebody messaged me on my iMessage or whatever. I don't remember who it was, but they're like, well, why is this guy in the Bullet Club? I said, bro, ask the booker. <laughs> well, <you know. laughs> it's not up to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, if, I, if I was booking this thing, I think I'd be the champion and I'd be a millionaire. Right, so. <laughs> right, right. Oh, man. But, but, but in terms of once you get out there, yeah, that's you. Yeah, I think it's on you, yeah. Yeah, like tonight, like we're, we're allowed to do some things here and there. I have to, I have a, a full-time contract with New Japan, so I have to kind of go th- around different, avenues to do independent stuff but, mm-hmm. but yeah it's on when i when i go to a show it's on me so what are you guys looking forward to the pay-per-view obviously yeah wrestle kingdom nine man. i mean that's is that 
probably the biggest deal that New Japan has signed. Yeah, for sure. In terms of being on America. Because Kingdom 9 is, is the biggest show of the year. Yeah. It's going to be on American pay-per-view. You got Jim Ross calling it. And they've already, and Jeff Jarrett's been through his promotion, Global Force, yeah. has been putting out these videos explaining the storylines and everything to kind of, and trying to explain, I was watching on YouTube this morning, why American fans should care about this thing. And it seems like there's a pretty solid buzz behind it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's cool because it's something, it's going to give the fans something different, you know? Yeah. And it's to be, to be able to see what's so hot right now. Why is it so hot? So yeah. Check it out. And I think it's good timing for it too, because yeah. I mean, right now, the WWE, whether you like it or don't like it, it is your, there are no alternatives theoretically. Yeah, that's it. So for new Japan to pop up and be like, Oh wait, yeah, I've seen those T-shirts that are show here and there. Yeah. That thing has popped up. What is this thing? Yep. Here's a chance to just see something different. You know, you, you can see AJ Styles wrestling in front of 50,000 people. Right. You know, AJ's still a big wrestling name, huge wrestling name. Right. You have Jeff Jarrett's on the show. You have the Bullet Club on the show. Right. You have possibly two of the best, you know, two of the best professional wrestlers in the world that's in the main event, which Tanahashi and Okada. I mean, those guys are, those guys are amazing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, do you... Where do you see it going? Like, do you are you thinking about exit strategies for when the Bullet Club kind of gets stale, and to make sure, or are you just day to day making sure it stays hot today? Yeah, just uh, that right there, man. Day to day, I'm just keeping it going. Yeah, I just, I just I just want the Bullet Club to stay as hot as possible. And like, I I think I just tweeted out today that like you know, the Bullet Club hasn't even we're, we're like a, at least a year from peaking. You think at, so? At least, yeah, yeah, for sure. You're not gonna do a Bullet Club red and black. Yeah, Bullet Club yeah. Wolfpack. Well, when we when we break off, we'll do all that. We're just we're just getting started still, because it, it's it's a little different in Japan. Like the, you know, I, I imagine the American fans might get tired of hearing Bullet Club, Bullet Club, hashtag Bullet Club here and there after you know a little after a little while. Mm-hmm. But the the Japanese fans are used to these groups. They always do groups, this and that. And it's just, I mean, the Bullet Club's really strong over there, man. It is. I'm, I'm not worried about it at all. Do you did you at all like what is the transition like? from working in front of American fans to working in front of Japanese fans. And if you did end up going to WWE at some point, would that be kind of a weird thing? Because, I, you know, I, I spent the morning, as you know from Twitter, yeah. watching oh, yeah. watching stuff. And, like, the audience reaction in Japan it's is different. so much different yeah. from America. Yeah, it's sometimes you'll have, like, you know, 12,000 people s- staring at you. Right, and without, without making a noise, and like you said, your your whole the only way you know if you've done a good job or not is if you give people reaction. By that reaction, but that's but that's where you just it, when you do it long enough, you just kind of get used to it, you know. So you got you know, the Japanese fans want to see you lock up. They want to see it get on the ground, wrestle, 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 bam, break off. Then there's a huge pop for that, you know. But then it'll get quiet again. Huh. Then by the end, if it's a twenty minute match, that last five minutes they're starting, they're stomping their feet, they're <laughs> fucking, they're blah 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 blah. And it's just you know, it's just it's it's definitely a different style, but. But it's still the same. Right. You know what I mean? So you just kind of have to know as this match, like early in the match, yeah. you're going through whatever chain wrestling you're going yeah. through. And if it's silent, you have to know, like, yep, it's supposed to be silent right now. Yeah, or even like, or during the heat when you're beating the guy up. And yeah. You, and, you, if, and if you're just worried about not hearing a boo or a chill, they don't even, they don't even boo a whole lot in Japan. They know? don't. So it's just, it's just, just relax. How do, they, how do they look at it? Do they look at it the way, because I think... American fans in general are kind of nowadays we look at it like we know it's a show. Yeah. I don't think anybody takes it overly seriously, you know what I mean? Like yeah. like it, it's it's really difficult to get like 70s bad guy heat where yeah. you wanted to riot and stab somebody and and do something. Yeah. Do Japanese fans are they like American fans on that level or do they take it more seriously? You know, I I think they get it that it's I think they get that it's work. Yeah. But they they want to believe yeah. So they they want to believe it's still a sport. Right. So that's that's what I think is so cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you're not going to get them trying to beat you up because they're still they're, they're still in the, in the mentality that the pro wrestlers can beat the shit out of all the fans. So. Well, that, and that's what so, I mean, I remember from back watching like old deathmatch tapes in the 90s when like Leatherface would run out into the crowd and the crowd would just run like crazy to get yeah. away from this dude. Whereas in America, it's like, well, I know you're not going to hit me because I could sue you. Well, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, there was uh, – sometimes after the shows, you go out with sponsors, right? They take you out drinking, they, mm-hmm. they take, like, which is different than in America. I heard that because, like, Bernard and Ferg, so they told me when you're in, in, in America that you don't, you don't usually find fans taking you out to eat for free. I mean, usually. Uh-huh. Right? You know what I mean? I mean, so, I but, get, yeah. But in Japan, like, you'll have fans take you out. After the show, they take you out. You drink, you eat. They'll pay for everything. Almost every single night when we're in Tokyo. That's or great. Uh, it's awesome. So I could save a lot of money that way. Yeah. Well, then sometimes you'll get a fan 
that starts getting like a little bit lippy or something, right? Uh-huh. There, and then one of the and the guy that's running the, that's running the the sponsor meal will say, "Listen, give him a chop or a choke or something." Yeah. Like that. But I've seen <laughs> you, you I've know, seen the guys like choke choke the guy out, and the guy drops at a restaurant, and that's part of it. That's, that's just part, part of the, of the show. That makes me feel a little weird because it, I'm an American. You know, you yeah, can't, you can't do that. Are they just less litigious in Japan? A cop never shows up or anything. That's amazing. Because so now that you bring that up, like a few days ago, I was I was watching. Some video, I think somebody on the Squared Circle sub forum on Reddit or something posted it, and it was like a Bullet Club dinner, and some fan was just, he asked to get chopped. Yeah. And Gallows was holding, oh, yeah. I think it was Gallows holding him, and Devitt was chopping him, and the guy was like, okay, I've had enough. And Gallows was like, no, you haven't. No. Like, well, the best part is that he broke away from Gallows. Gallows is six foot eight, six yeah. foot nine. He, this, little, this little five foot seven guy breaks yeah. away from Gallows. Yeah. So I'm in the back screaming, he got away from me. <laughs> so then gassed up Gallows is grabbing for him. <laughs> yeah. him back. But that's just the way it is. Yeah, it is. It's just, they, they, yeah, they, they, they still believe, they, they, I think they think they know it's a work. Mm-hmm. But they want to believe. So is that the reason? Why do you think it is, though? Because I bet, I mean, I would assume that wrestling fans would be willing to take, like, I'm sure you could find somebody that wouldn't mind taking John Cena out to a Denny's. <laughs> I know. It's why I don't, it's, I think it's just the culture, man. Because, like, the, it's just like when I'm in Japan for three weeks and uh-huh. I land in Detroit uh-huh. or Minneapolis, I can tell the difference in, in the people. Really? Just when I go through customs and, and go through security. Just like when you go through the security of Detroit, you got, you know, take off your belt and people are just mean. But in right. Japan, they're nice to you, and they're really, really sweet when they help you out with going through the security. Just different people, man. Yeah, I get. Is it so? Do you think that it's that the fans they don't want to come off as being like less than? Like I don't want to, I don't want to kiss this guy's ass. Maybe I think it's just Americans. I think it's just they just know, want just yeah. a little more like more, they're too cool. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, like I'm too cool. Like I'm not going to take him out for like if John Cena wants to take me out, then maybe we'll go. But I'm not going to buy him a beer. He's a millionaire, right? You know, that's what they're probably thinking. Right, and you're like you can just just. Buy me a beer, just, bro. Yeah, relax. Like, I just put on a show for you. I was just, uh, the, the the last tag league tour that I was on, I was, we were on the tour for, I don't know, two and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were in Tokyo just for one night. Then we went on the road for 13 nights. And it was just, it was different. It was Hiroshima, Fukuoka, which is way south, mm-hmm. Osaka, Nagoya. And every town's a big city. And in every single town we had, we had a sponsor taking us out to eat. So it was just like every night it's was. Great. It's great. It's great. It's awesome. It's free. Yeah. And it, it's good now that we've been there long enough we can tell the sponsor when we want to cut it off too because they want to go all night so then you're, <laughs> then you're drinking all night and you're fucked up bad right next day. well you also i don't think wrestlers in america can drink all night anymore because somebody will be there with a cell phone camera ready to feed it to, to tmz to, to, to tell yeah because because we can still do all that no problem well they, they look at you like i mean that, that they expect you to be able to drink more too in japan yeah but aj doesn't drink the young bucks don't drink I mean, so they can just go out for the free meal, and they're cool. They just sit and relax, and me and Gallows handle the drinking. So if the Young Bucks are like, no, I don't need any, the people will be like, okay, that's cool. Oh, we'll yeah. just double up for, I think, for I, Carl. I, I think it helps that the Bullet Club's over, too, that they can just go eat and not drink. Because right. They used to not, they used to not invite the uh, guys that didn't drink much, but I've noticed that they all the Bullet Club gets invited. <laughs> I don't know. There, there's one video on YouTube. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but, like, the Young Bucks are super kicking this fan. <laughs> But he has handprints all over him. He just he's just been just abused right. by everybody else. And the guy, the guy in the one video who's just getting, I mean, his chest is like it's basically bleeding. He's been chopped so hard over and over again, and he's struggling to get away. Yeah. And Gallows is like, "No, you're not getting away." And he grabs him again. And I'm like, Jesus, it seems like they're going a little far. But at the end of the video, the guy's just like smiling, like, what an honor. Oh, I've just been you. like destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah, that's, that's the culture too. They, 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 they want to take a chop and be able to feel it and respect it. And... Yeah, I guess, and I guess that's part of wanting to believe. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah. I went out drinking with these guys and they, they kicked the shit out of me. Yeah, like, so, so you got to whack them when you, you know, when, when you get a chance to whack them, you got to really whack them. Yeah. To protect it, I guess. But Japanese <laughs> wrestling is generally stiffer anyway, isn't it? You know, that, that's what it has always been the the case, I yeah. guess. But but now that it, the the styles kind of changed since you know two thousand and eight, uh, a whole different regime took over. Like a whole new Booker came in, mm-hmm. and Gato and, and Jado took over booking, and uh, they changed everything. So they they changed like with they, they wanted the guys to sell more and they wanted uh, to just oh interesting a little more a little more Americanized. So it's booked a little bit more like American wrestling. Yeah, for sure. How but, did the fans respond to that? Well, you know it's. it's was it seven years later now, and the business is, is bigger as than as, ever. Yeah, as bigger as it's ever been. So yeah, obviously yeah. positive. Hey, are there more? Is it more uh, like character based than it used to be? Yeah, 
for sure. Like a lot more, like more gimmicks and stuff yep. like that. But you were talking about the guy going through the through the crowd. There's a guy that goes through the crowd every single show, and he has a, a iron glove, <laughs> and he wears it in a cast. And his name's Izuka, and he's nuts. But he's a really nice guy. I mean, but he's just banging through, and he's anybody if anybody's in the way, he'll whack him. No problem. No, yeah. he won't get sued or anything. That's amazing. I know it's nuts. It's so, but, but that's the way it should be. I think so too. Like a wrestler, that's your kind of. If a fan's going to challenge a wrestler, like okay, we're stepping past that fourth yeah. wall. You just entered into the show. So now this is what we do to people in the show. There was a fan that hit me in Tokyo, like in my shoulder, and I turned around and I just gave him a really big push, and he just just ate it, man. He just yeah. ate it. And like his brother got up and he got mad, and I went like this, and one of the guys stopped him like this. But I was thinking, and all all this is going. I wasn't really mad at anybody. I was mm-hmm. just kind of lost in like. Rick like is like badass character, you know. Yeah, the um, machine gun has yeah. to punch this guy. I had to, right? <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking, I don't. What do I do here? I, right. I, but I knew I wouldn't get in trouble if I did it. Like the right. kid, the kid that I pushed is sorry, you know. Well, that's like that's like that video of uh, some Mexican fan trying to take Laparca's mask. Yeah. And Laparca just kind of drops all sort of wrestling oh, guys just and him. just turns around and just nails him. Just punches him right in the face, and it's like, yeah. I just saw that recently. <laughs> That's what happens. I think he was in the middle of a cell, too, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was selling. He was like, oh, laid out. And the guy, forget the cell. <laughs> Knocks him out. out. Knocks him out. Um, do you like that? Do you like that better? Do you like dealing with the Japanese fans better? How are, how, how are like, the Ring of Honor fans? Because you've done a bunch of stuff with Ring of Honor. It yeah. seems like, but it seems like Ring of Honor fans are probably more like Japanese fans than, like, WWE fans are, but I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I think so, too. I, you know, the, the Ring of Honor fans are, are um, well, they're cool. They're, they give you some awesome reactions as well. I mean, they're, 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 for the most part, positive. But sometimes I think they get a little bit like WWE fans where they kind of want to be a little too cool and like, mm-hmm. chant, chant their own things for reasons I just don't understand. Like, take the show over. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I did Jim Ross's podcast recently, and, like, he was talking about that, and like he went on, on an awesome tangent about it, like, like yeah. asking about like the Japanese fans and the American fans, and he's like talking about how the Americans. So he's saying that their Japanese fans aren't like the American fans, where they just start chanting stupid random stuff. It was, <laughs> it was pretty awesome to hear JR get get a little hot, get all pissed about it. <laughs> but like, I, for the most part, I like the Ring of Honor fans. Uh-huh. But uh, I think the Japanese fans are the, just the best in the world. That's what it's cool about Ring of Wrestle Kingdom Nine, man. I'm, I'm excited about people being able to see that. Just those ridiculous reactions. Maybe people will behave better. They'll be like, oh, well behaved these people yeah, are. Right, like, right? Maybe I should enjoy the show. Like, actually, they respectful, are. Like not chanting dumb stuff. Like, I right? Don't, uh, I don't, right. I don't get that either, but. Yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of this thing where people want to know that because you're not going to make the show better. Like you as an individual, like I can't go out and make you have a better match. Like if you have a good match, it's going to be like, yeah, Machine Gun had a good match. But if I can start a chant that ruined the match... I did that, right? So yeah, I can so take that, credit for that. And I guess afterwards you can you can just tell, brag to your you friends, can tell people about it. Like you can you can DVR it and say, "Look, I started this chant." And yeah, I made this suck. Yeah, I mean, it's just I guess that's it's like the kid who spoils the movie because he's like, "No, no, no." It's, yeah, I, and you're like, "That doesn't make you cool." You just because you just ruined my day. I guess it's like the social media world now, where like anybody well, can be a celebrity or something. That's you know? exactly what I was going to hit on. Like, what's Twitter like in Japan? It's, it's big? just just as big. Yeah, it's famous because it seems like in America. Everybody is gets to be a celebrity now, like yeah. Instagram and Twitter and all this stuff result in sort of everybody feeling like they're a celebrity. So I think that that's part of it, that in America people go to a show, but they also – they want to command an audience themselves. You yep. know what I mean? Yeah, like take a picture of where they're sitting and look at me. Right. You look know? at me. I'm here. And, 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 and let me – I'm going to just start a chant to get the people around me laughing. Yeah. That way I'm – Famous. I'm famous, yeah. you know, to the people around me. And then not me. that joke in the ring that we're all paying to see. Yeah, I, don't, I don't get that, but. But they're not, so they're not sort of, so is it, are they not as celebrity driven in Japan? You know, they love celebrities over there. They're just so much, they're just, the, the Japanese people are just so respectful, man. That's it. Yeah, like I, I took my mom there last last year for, for Wrestle Kingdom. And I'm taking my brother this year, which will be sweet. But I showed mom, but me and my mom were, were, were at a restaurant mm-hmm. like midday, like two in the afternoon. We were off that day. And I was like, Mom, watch this. And I, got, I, just, I just got finished with my beer. And I screamed out, Sima Sane. Sima Sane means excuse me in Japan. Mm-hmm. And you just scream it out. And they go, hi. And they come running up to you. And I go, ah, <laughs> Nama, Nama Biru, please. And they go, oh, okay. And they get right away. Wow. And, and is that because you're Carl Anderson? Or no, 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 that no, just no, because no. you just because said excuse was, me? You're a guy no, who said excuse me. They had no clue who I was. Wow. <laughs> just, have, you, have you met David Lee Roth? No. You know he's a giant wrestling fan? No. He's a big Japanese, because he lived in Japan for a while. Wow. And he's a big, I didn't know that either until recently, but he's a big Japanese wrestling fan. That's sweet. Yeah, let's get him. Let's do something about this. Let's yeah. get some BC gear on him. <laughs> yeah, next time, <laughs> next time he comes up here, I'll tell you. You should send some some Bullet Club stuff. 
that'd be great. I mean, David Lee Roth doing like rock and roll high kicks and Bullet Club shirts. There's like uh, the Megadeth, the Megadeth guitarist. Is he famous? Well, I, yeah, huh? Megadeth's a big band, right? Yeah, I guess I don't know, but I, I don't know who he is. But he he's he's been coming out at the Wrestle Kingdom shows like last year and playing like the guitar during Tanahashi's entrance and stuff. So. That's pretty great. I don't know if he lives there or if he just comes for the show. Or... Have there been any other weird celebrities that you found out that have been Bullet Club fans? I mean, I know you just found out Wale well, is a Bullet Club, is a Bullet Club fan. fan. Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't heard anything else lately. But I guess you're in Japan, so it's yeah. like, who knows? So I'm not paying attention. Who knows? So, yeah. yeah, you're too busy. <laughs> I'm too, being in Bullet I'm Club. too busy. You're too busy being the man to any worry cele- about. Any celebrities want to want to be fans of the Bullet Club? Please, just tweet. L- let us know. <laughs> oh well, listen, man. I'm glad you uh, you finally made it out of here to hang out. How often are you in Japan? Because you're a Cincinnati guy. Yeah, I live in Cincinnati. I, I'm in Japan. At just for example, I'll be there for three weeks, and mm-hmm. then I come home for 10 days. You know, go back to Japan for two weeks, come home for a week. Japan for seven days, home for two weeks. Japan for seven weeks. It's just back and forth just all the time. Just back and forth. So when do you leave next? I leave next on December December thirty first. Okay, for, so you're um, here for Wrestle Kingdom. So I'm off for I'm off for this whole Christmas. So. You're here for Christmas, but then you, <laughs> you're gone out. on New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, I'm out. Man. That's crazy. I have three young kids at home, you know, so it's nice to be able to, to go to Japan and kind of get, <laughs> get, get a little break. <laughs> yeah, just, just, I don't know how you do it with three kids. Well, I go to Japan every week for three weeks. So. Like, I was complaining about something, and my friend goes, "Dude, shut up, bro. You get to leave every couple of weeks." And I was like, "Oh, right, yeah." And people right. buy you <laughs> drinks and food, and you. <laughs> Slap skinny Japanese people on the chest as hard as you can. Yeah, I wonder if that's why. That might be why the wife gets mad a lot. That's uh, probably why your uh, WWE dreams are d- dwindling and dwindling because you're like, no, 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 no. They can get to Orlando. They're not, they yeah. can't get to Japan. Exactly. <laughs> Kfa, brother. That's it. That's it. But oh, this is what I want. When you find out CM Punk had left WWE, yeah, was there any thought in your head that if we could get him, uh, absolutely, to New Japan to yeah. be a bullet? Because obviously, I would think that New Japan would make him Bullet Club in a second. Hundred percent. That's, like, yeah, well, you know, he's friends with Gallows, man. So, right, you know, it was we talked about it all the time. Did you go? You're, you're like Gallows. I mean, talk to brother, yeah, man. Yeah, send him a text. Like, see, 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 see what he's thinking. Yeah, well, there, there was there was a lot of 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 contact. You know, I don't I, I don't want to talk about what we talked about, but but there but that thought, there was absolutely talk contact. That would have been the most insane thing. That would have been awesome. That would have just especially if it had happened at the dome. You know, yeah, that would have been insane. I'm like, well. I, yeah, I would say maybe it still will, but that That's goddamn not. Dana White took brother, that away from us, didn't he? I think brother, brother's got a, a he's brother, got another busy right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got another thing going on. Well, listen, best of luck to you with everything, man. I'm glad you finally got a chance to hang out. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Still, for sure. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. And uh, uh, people, where can they follow you on Twitter? Yeah, at Machine Gun Ka. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a stupid podcast called Talk and Shop. There you go. At MLW. MLW Radio. Mm-hmm. We just drink beer and talk in Japan. That sounds great. Around an iPhone. <laughs> it's perfect. So, so most of the time you forget you're even recording. Well, the, half of them get thrown out because we say so much bad stuff, we just can't put them out. That, see, so, see what that's you gotta, the problem. There's got to be another guy there yeah. that is just not involved. He just takes the phone and puts it out before you get a chance to edit yes, anything. Yeah, Because exactly. that's the money. But we, I know. But, but we just, we, we'd get in a lot of trouble. And I would say plug Bullet Club March, but you're not making any money off of it. Yeah. Go, go to ProWrestlingTees.com backslash Machine Gun. You can do that. Get the Carl Anderson I got, yeah, I got a Carl Anderson right there, shirt. Yeah. Yeah, a little love from that. Were you? Were you? Do you make sure you're like? I got to make sure I got some sweet merchandise of my own. I guess there's a lot of pressure on your merch because the Bullet Club merch is so cool. It's just, I mean, the Bullet Club. I can't. I can't even touch Bullet Club you can't. merch. So you know, you can't. So a, buy, just, just get a shirt, man. Wear it to bed. Yeah, <laughs> buy a shirt. Buy the shirt. Buy a machine gun shirt. Wear it to bed. Give it to your girlfriend. <laughs> Something. <laughs> <laughs> wear it under your Bullet Club shirt, yeah, please. <laughs> Makes a good undershirt. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out, man. Appreciate Thank you, it, brother. Appreciate it. Here is Sam Roberts. Really is cool what he's doing over there in New Japan Pro Wrestling, but it blew my mind. It was the first time that I had even heard an inkling that he's not getting any royalty money, that none of the Bullet Club members are getting money for Bullet Club. You see those Bullet Club t-shirts everywhere. It's the biggest thing that New Japan is selling, and they're not getting any money for it. Well, if you haven't seen the Bullet Club yet, then make sure you order the pay-per-view. Good old JR, my pal, is going to be doing the play-by-play, so... It's going to be a can't-miss event. Of course, as Carl Anderson said, you can pick up a Carl, a-, a Carl Anderson t-shirt. And speaking of dope t-shirts, if you go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts, you can find your own Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast t-shirts. That's right. There's a couple of What's the Haps t-shirts, a Not Sam t-shirt, all available 
at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. You can also get them if you go to NotSam.com and click on the store link. You know, I post uh, uh, photos and videos and everything over at NotSam.com. There's also a, a page on there that says Help the Podcast. Well, on that Help the Podcast page, or it says something like that, not only can you find a link to Amazon, and if you're going to do any shopping on Amazon, make sure you use that link. Because all the prices are the same as, as uh, anything would be on Amazon, but a little kickback goes to help this podcast, as opposed to just helping um, Big Pockets Dr. Moneybags, who owns Amazon.com. Also on that page, you can find a link to a survey. Please, if you listen to the podcast, not only do I want you to leave an iTunes review and tell your friends and subscribe, but go ahead and take that real quick survey because it's going to help with the future of this here podcast. Now. The Carl Anderson interview that you just heard will be on YouTube soon. If you missed it, uh, Mick Foley was on last week. Download that podcast and also watch that interview on YouTube. The David Arquette interview is on YouTube, all at youtube.com slash NotSam. While we have a little bit of time, let's, uh, let's get into the state of wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Yes, it is Howard Finkel. He loves ringing that bell, too. Every time he says anything, he's got to ring that bell. Listen, it's going to be in a bridge state of wrestling this week. I don't want to run out of time. There's going to be a lot to talk about next week as well. Of course, I'll do another Sam Roberts wrestling podcast next week. That'll be on New Year's Eve. The morning of New Year's Eve is when that podcast is going to come out. So I'll talk a lot about uh, what I expect to happen in 2015. But uh, I think wrestling is in a, a very interesting place right now. The WWE is not as fresh as it has been in the past. There's a, a, there is a little bit of staleness right now that I think is looming over it, as I've been saying for a long time. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with the talent that's there because the talent that's there is, in, is incredible. I mean, the talent that's in WWE now rivals that of during the Attitude Era, which is no doubt when they had the most talent they've ever had. You couple that with the amount of talent that's in NXT right now, and I mean... You have mind-blowing potential. But there's just something stale. Even even on Raw this week, the Ho-Ho Hogan episode of Monday Night Raw, the matches were great. The Ziggler match was great. The Miracle on 34th Street fight was good. But there's just some, Even Cena and Seth Rollins were good. They're always good. But there's just something about watching a three-hour TV show that is literally full of rematches from the pay-per-view that you just saw two weeks ago that is like, you're not, it doesn't feel fresh. It's that not-so-fresh feeling. Winter fresh tastes much, much cooler. This, not as much. But I think wrestling is in a very interesting place because I think that 2015 is going to be a year for a lot of growth for a lot of people. I think that New Japan is setting things off in a big, big way to start. You've already got, in 2014... You had Ring of Honor already starting to set this pace. The fact that now Ring of Honor Honor can be seen uh, on pay-per-view seasonally, I think, every three or four months. Ring of Honor is doing a traditional cable and satellite TV provider pay-per-view show. That by, you know, everything that I've heard have been very successful and they're putting on great shows. You know, their TV keeps expanding. Pro Wrestling Syndicate. Big indie promotion here on the East Coast announced over the weekend that they were getting TV. So they're going to be on a, a regional syndicated channel here in New York every single weekend. They are having they have weekly TV now. So you've got that. You've got New Japan on January 4th with this monster pay-per-view, which I think is just going to – it has the potential to be the show of the year. Jeff Jarrett is bringing this to America. You've got uh, New Japan doing this and having Jim Ross do the play-by-play, which is going to Americanize everything. If anyone can explain to the American public why they should be caring about, caring about New Japan, it's Jim Ross. And you've got TNA, who's just signed this new TV deal. They've got ja- Josh Matthews and Taz now doing all the play-by-play, so the shows are going to sound different. We've already seen it's a different logo. The shows are going to look different. I'm expecting a complete refresh of this organization on a brand-new network. They've got three different shows on this network on at different times. So finally, and I hope one of the shows that TNA has is a, a best of TNA show, like a, like a history of TNA show. I'm hoping that with that time slot, what they do is finally set up some history for the company. 
So it feels like there's some real substance. Like this company has a legitimate 10-year history. This is what's happened in the past, and now here's the future. Um, and I think TNA has a huge amount of potential to, to really make, no pun intended, an impact with these new shows. They're going to be doing a live show on the 7th of January. So you're talking about right to start 2015. The first Sunday of 2015 is the New Japan pay-per-view. Then days later, you know, three days later, Impact Wrestling is doing their first live show of 2015 on a brand new network. It's new TV. It's new everything. And then they're doing Friday nights uh, after that. Um, I think that all this stuff is going to lead to a lot more people. And, and, and the Pro Wrestling Syndicate deal starts in January. I think a lot more people are going to have a lot more exposure to different types of wrestling. I think with all this, with what you saw on NXT a couple of weeks ago, ending 2014 with a show like Our Evolution, all it's going to do, it has to. It's leaving WWE no choice but to push forward with mind-blowing stuff. They have all the tools they need with the guys in the locker room, but I think the amount of content, pro wrestling-wise, that's being pushed out. I think the fact that uh, wrestling podcasts have gotten so big, especially at the end of 2014, with the CM Punk, Colt Cabana, Art of Wrestling show, with Vince McMahon doing Stone Cold's podcast on the network, all wrestling fi- fans are finding out about these wrestling podcasts, which is, which is pushing the industry even more forward into what, people are doing in 2015 in terms of entertainment. Like people are listening to podcasts and they're going to YouTube and they're doing this and they're doing that. They've got we've got the WWE network. We've got a strong foot into the future. So I can only imagine. And maybe this is me being an optimist. You know, I've said it a hundred times. This podcast is generally a positive place for wrestling. I'm a wrestling fan. And I'm always thinking, okay, even when it's not great, it can be better. And I really feel like all the stuff that is happening right now with TNA, with New Japan, with Ring of Honor, with Pro Wrestling Syndicate, with NXT, is all going to push WWE into a better direction. Because they're in a spot where they could, and they haven't been in years. WWE has had a, a stronghold on the wrestling industry for years now with literally no competition. They may finally find themselves in a place where there's so many other little things out there. It's not going to be one big force competing with, with WWE. But with all the little organizations finally finding ground and really putting out a product that people can look at and say, well, wrestling can be this, I think WWE may finally be in a sink or swim scenario. I mean, we're going to close 2015 with CM Punk in UFC. Okay, that's going to lead to a lot of wrestling fans seeing what's going on in UFC. 2015 is going to be a time when a lot of people have exposure to a lot of things that maybe they didn't have exposure to. Um, And I think it's going to end up being a good thing for the WWE product. I think it's going to push them to be more creative and to just have better programming than they've had in some time. Um so, yeah, that's where I think that's going. I'm going to talk more about that next week. If there's anything you want me to talk about in terms of what's happening in 2015, uh, then go to Not Sam on Twitter or Not Sam on Facebook and send me some tweets and Facebook messages. And, uh, and, and we'll get into it next week, another great guest next week. But I want to leave you now. It's Christmas. One man in pro wrestling has, has taken ownership over Christmas. And it's not Ho Ho Hogan, as much as I love the Hulkster. It's Mick Foley, the man who was a guest on this podcast last week. It's Mick Foley, um, a guy named Sherwin Sleeves, who some of you may know, some of you may not know. Uh, I think he's, a, he's like a throwback genius as far as radio goes. Um, you can catch a lot of his stuff at RadioGhost.com is his website. Um, but he, he's on a whole other wavelength than anybody else. He does, he does his own stuff, and I love him for it. He uh, interacted with Mick Foley a little bit, and he sent me – he put together like a public radio story about Mick Foley uh, portraying Santa Claus. And I thought it would be appropriate to leave you with this by Sherwin Sleeves 
uh, on this Christmas spectacular episode of uh, Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. So here you go. Thank you, Sherwin Sleeves, for this. Below a half moon on a snowbound night, high on a hill in the town of Littleton, an unexpectedly large man with an overturned bucket of tangled hair stepped into the lobby of the Hampton Inn. He was this like, big, burly, strong guy. For the hotel's night manager, Kristen Burkholder, it was hard to tell whether it was a damaged hip or knee that made the man's limp so pronounced. Burkholder noticed that the man's two front teeth were missing, that part of his right ear was gone. He said that he travels with a Santa Claus costume, and if we wanted him to, he'd be happy to hang out in the lobby for an hour and, and read stories to the kids. There wasn't any time to make an announcement or put up signs, and Burkholder still isn't sure why. She finally agreed to let the strange man sit in her hotel lobby. I'm kind of thinking, oh my gosh, Santa's about to show up and this may backfire. The man disappeared. He dressed in crimson robes and coal black boots. He tucked his wild hair into his Santa wig and drew the white hair down to cover his damaged ear and fixed a plate into his mouth so that Santa would have two front teeth. Red cap in place, he slung a bag full of toys over his shoulder and limped into the lobby. But he sat down and all of a sudden within minutes there was a line of kids just, you know, patiently waiting to, to sit on his lap and tell him what they want for Christmas. Come on over here. Would you like to climb up here? There you go. Yeah. Are you looking forward to Christmas? Yeah, and I, and I saw Johnny. You saw Johnny? The elf. Oh, where did you run into Johnny? He went in the, he went in our wreath. Oh, he went in your wreath. Oh, that's a good place for an elf, right? Yeah. He was so great. He was so, like, he was such a nice guy, super interactive. Very patient, very friendly. None of the children and none of their parents knew who the man in the red suit was. That once upon a time, he'd been a kind of nightmare to kids all over the world. But by the time the line had cleared, one of the hotel staff had figured out Santa's real identity. I have to get your autograph because my daughter's a wrestler. Santa puts a shushing, secret finger to his lips. Sorry, she was a wrestler. And she would love... What's her name? Uh, Carrie. How do you spell that? C-A-R-R-I-E. She would love it. Weighing 287 pounds, Mankind! He was born Mick Foley on Long Island, New York. His manifestations as Dude Love and Cactus Jack are infamous. But none are more deranged than mankind. It was 1996 when Mick Foley belted a Hannibal Lecter mask over his face and stepped into the ring as Mankind, one of the darkest, most unhinged, most controversial, and most successful characters in professional wrestling history. The same year Mankind was born, 1996, Mick Foley visited Santa's village in Jefferson, New Hampshire. I was probably 16 or 17 when Mick first came to the park. Christian Gaynor runs Santa's village with his sister and brother-in-law. A third-generation owner, Gaynor's grandparents opened the park in 1953, and he grew up here. You know, he was a WWE superstar. He was the guy on TV. I didn't approach him at all. I was like a half a dozen other employees, and we were just kind of following around, seeing what he did. And from place to place... All of our employees would get excited and, and ask him questions about wrestling and wrestling Hulk Hogan and all of the other big names of the WWE. But as his day kept on going, he kept on getting more inspired by the park and by the enthusiasm of our employees. And it, it just created a, a buzz for everybody. And there's been no turning back since. I think I was able to explore that, uh, that darker side. <laughs> Uh, because I had I had the uh, the yearly visits to this place, I honestly feel like that helped me cope. That I could really be convincing in my bad guy mannerisms because I had a, a really nice counterbalance in the you know in the joy of Christmas. Every year he's here, unannounced. He shows up. He's part of the family. 
Um, we welcome him with open arms and his whole family. As a matter of fact, it was on that roller coaster there, climbing the, the, climbing the peak, <laughs> that my daughter, who in 1998 would have been uh, four, kissed me on the cheek. And when I asked her what that kiss was for, she said, because you're a good man. And uh, slightly more than 24 hours later, I was thrown off a massive steel structure by The Undertaker. And so after all these years, one of the great questions I have is, what in the world was I doing at Santa's Village the day before the biggest match in my career? Not only the biggest match in his career, Hell in a Cell is considered one of the great events in WWE history and saw mankind being thrown not once, but twice from a height of 16 feet. The first fall was highly planned and well-practiced, but the second, which knocked him unconscious, was an accident. The injuries he sustained during Hell in a Cell hastened the end of his formal wrestling career in 2000. But yeah, I just just remember that. I'm, you know, going up there, kissing me on the cheek, telling me I was a good man. Does that create any kind of like uh, conflict for you when you think about those two things together? I don't. I'm not a not a conflict. I mean, it's a it's a great paradox. Yeah. Um, but I, I uh, you know, I, I learned I learned to live with it. In 1999, during an autograph session, Foley got the sense that his days as mankind were coming to an end, and that another character, maybe his last, was preparing to emerge. And off in the distance, about you know halfway uh, through uh, this 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 massive line, I saw this little boy uh, with the telltale uh, scars of, of many many surgeries for uh, severe burns. Foley called the boy up to the front of the line. But it was then that his mother told me that uh, Antonio had needed to wear a mask during the process of, he of his healing. At the time, he was three, and like most three-year-olds, wanted nothing to do with, with the wearing of a mask until his mother told him that his favorite wrestler, Mankind, wore a mask. And it, and it kind of filled me with this sense of joy. It was almost like I could feel my conscience calling out to me. And so I asked his mom if he could sit on my lap while I uh, took care of the, the, the rest of the people in line. And uh, people were visibly moved. Like, there were people wiping away tears. And as he walked away, I got this distinct feeling that I knew what it was like to be Santa Claus. And a distinct feeling like that, that this was something I would like to experience again. And so he did. After visiting Sierra Leone in 2008, Foley funded construction of a large primary school there, which was completed in 2009. In 2011 alone, as a volunteer for the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, Foley logged more than 550 hours talking to victims. Following Hurricane Sandy, Foley gave his dining room furniture to a Long Island family who'd lost theirs in the storm. He then promptly invited himself over for dinner so he could eat at his old table one last time. In 2012, it became official. I have an official ambassador's uh, letter that proclaims me uh, an official ambassador so that anytime uh, I put on the red suit, I am officially known as Santa Mick. Foley was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2013. He knew exactly how he wanted to go out. Exactly how he wanted to leave his fans. I, I tried to talk Mr. McMahon into allowing me to exit Madison Square Garden on a sleigh <laughs> flying into the sky. And I knew he had the capability of making it happen. He just didn't understand why it was so important to me. And so, below a half moon, on a snowbound night, high on a hill in the town of Littleton, an unexpectedly large man with an overturned bucket of tangled hair, stepped into the lobby of the Hampton Inn. And you young man, what would you like for Christmas? Maroon catching gear. Maroon catching gear, I can do that. None of the children and none of their parents knew who the man in the red suit was, 
They called him Santa, and they knew inside him lay all the goodness, and all the care, and all the mystery and hope. Inside him, the single, simple majesty we believe exists in the very heart of all of mankind. For Sam Roberts Public Radio, and yes, Virginia, there is a Mick Foley. This is Sean Hurley. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Follow at MilkSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.